Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the kickoff episode of KQED's PropFest 2022. Today, we begin the podcast series brought to you by Bay Curious and our friends at The Bay, where we call up our smart reporter friends at KQED to help us break down the propositions we'll be voting on this fall. Ballots will start arriving in your mailboxes in early October. So yes, even though it's only September, election season is very much here. But if you've been watching TV or have a mailbox, you probably already knew that. I know I, for one, am drowning in campaign ads. Today, we're starting PropFest by looking at Proposition 1, which would solidify abortion and reproductive rights into the state constitution. Here's an excerpt from the amendment. The state shall not deny or interfere with an individual's reproductive freedom in their most intimate decisions, which includes their fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and their fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives. If you thought abortion was already protected in California, you're not wrong. But today we'll learn why the California lawmakers who placed this on our ballot want to take things a step further. And we'll dig into the details that have opponents concerned. I'm Olivia Allen Price. We'll get going right after this. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. To get the whole picture on Proposition 1, the Bay's Erica Cruz Guevara spoke with KQED health correspondent April Domboski. So April, back when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I remembered it was just such an emotional time. Is this prop a direct result of the decision to end federal abortion rights? Can you tell us about how this sort of came to be? It is a direct result. After the Supreme Court decision was leaked, Pretty much immediately, lawmakers went to work drafting the constitutional amendment that would eventually become Proposition 1. Senate Constitutional Amendment 10 by Senator Atkins and others in relating to fundamental rights. Mr. Speaker, you may open. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Members, colleagues, I rise. The very last vote, which occurred on the floor of the assembly, actually took place three days after the official decision came down. So even though people had been anticipating it, the reality of it actually happening just really clearly hit people. The last 72 hours has taught us anything is that we can't assume a right, a right we've had for 50 years will be available for us in the future. One of the lawmakers who spoke is Assemblymember Christina Garcia. She represents the L.A. area, and she's one of the co-authors on the bill. And so as we struggle with those feelings of anger, disappointment, disillusionment, whatever else it might be, I'm proud that I live in California. And so we must fight to ensure that we are a beacon of hope. We must fight to ensure that we are a role model for the rest of the states out there and for Congress. And we must fight because today it's this right, but tomorrow it'll be something else. So let's talk more about Prop 1. What would it do exactly? At the simplest level, lawmakers just wanted to say loud and clear, we want to give abortion and contraception rights the strongest protection we can. And we're going to do that by explicitly naming those rights in our state constitution. So it's basically saying, you know, if someday in the future the political tides in California were to change and suddenly we had an influx of lawmakers who were not as favorable to abortion rights and they tried to change some of our laws to be more restrictive, this amendment will make it a lot harder to do that. It will also do the same for contraception. There's some concern that the way the U.S. Supreme Court is thinking about abortion, saying that it's no longer a federal right, they may use a similar reasoning in the future to weaken the right to contraception. So Prop 1 includes a right to choose contraception. It also includes a right to refuse contraception. And that refers to some dark history in California. California has a really terrible track record of forced sterilizations. Women of color, Native American women, people who are incarcerated, basically being sterilized so they can never have children again. And this was happening against their will, sometimes even without their knowledge. And so there's an attempt at reproductive and racial justice included in Proposition 1 as well. Let's get into who is for and against this uh, proposition. Tell me which groups, again, are for and against this. So the groups that are for this are a range of health groups. Uh, Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California is leading the charge, um, but there's a list of other women's health organizations, doctors groups. You've got the California Medical Association, the California Nurses Association, other reproductive justice groups and civil rights groups. Uh, Those are the groups that are for it. And then on the other side, the groups that are opposing it are more religious-based groups, Uh, the California Conference of Catholic Bishops, the California Family Council, as well as fiscal conservative groups. So groups who are, you know, just sort of complaining about the amount of taxpayer money that goes toward supporting abortion services. Who's funding the for and against campaigns and how much money has been spent on this? On the yes side, there's a campaign committee put together by Planned Parenthood and State Senator Tony Atkins. She's the primary author of the amendment. And they've raised about $8.8 million. 
The no side has raised less than $400,000 so far, and that's mainly coming from churches and individuals. So it's pretty lopsided. Now I want to get into the arguments here. Let's talk about the no side. What happens if this proposition fails, and what's the argument against passing it? If the proposition goes down, there isn't any immediate change for anybody in California. We still have really strong protections for abortion and contraception services. And so what you hear from the no side is actually Prop 1 is unnecessary. We don't need it. But they also raise some concerns because they say that, you know, the measure doesn't just enshrine the status quo. It actually expands abortion rights. You know, one of the things that's pointed out is that the constitutional amendment doesn't say anything about viability. Viability is, in the simplest terms, a reference to when a fetus is able to survive outside the womb without any kind of heroic medical interventions. Historically, people have put a number on that, and in California, it's 24 weeks. After that, in California, women can still get abortions if their health or life is in danger or if something goes wrong with the fetus. But the language of Proposition 1, if you read it, there's no mention of viability and there's no number of weeks in there. There's no time limit mentioned. The opponents are concerned about this. Our large concern with Proposition 1 is that even if it represents a small percentage of overall abortions, it really is just an extreme position that is out of step with the majority of California voters. I talked to Jonathan Keller. He's the head of the California Family Council. He and other opponents are interpreting Proposition 1 to mean you can't place any restrictions on abortion. We already have currently abortion up to 24 weeks. Why do we need to push it beyond that? Why do we need to go beyond the point of viability? Why do we need to go up to potentially the moment of birth? Um, aren't Aren't we able to say that that is a step too far even for California? They may be opposed to abortion altogether, but their arguments on Prop 1 are really specified toward this question of viability, this question of at what point does a fetus become a person? My twin boys are alive and they are people. They were alive and they were people at 18 weeks. At 30 weeks, they did come. You know, Republicans like uh, James Gallagher, he was one of the people who testified on the assembly floor. And so babies like my twins at 30 weeks, their lives could be taken. And I don't think that's the right balance, folks. Their view that they've come to is that these are people, you know, they're alive, they're babies, and they deserve to be protected. It sounds like some people are concerned that without specific guidance on how late into a pregnancy an abortion can be performed, there's this sort of fear that this opens the door for all these abortions at any point in pregnancy. What do supporters of Prop 1 have to say about that? To be honest, the authors of the amendment had trouble answering this question. Um, They had trouble answering it conclusively for sure, but sometimes didn't know how to answer it at all. But then in the last couple of months, some of the supporters of the bill have come out and said, 
no, 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 no. This is this is just about enshrining current law. It doesn't change anything about the viability rule. So if you read in your voter guide, you know, that's mailed out to all the voters, in that rebuttal section, it actually says, no, we're just preserving the status quo. But several legal scholars that I've talked to have said, no, it does open the door. It may actually get rid of the viability standard. And the thing is, is that some of these legal scholars, as well as doctors, will say, and what's wrong with that? In other words, that's actually the point. Every pregnancy is individual, and um, it's a continuum. So one of the doctors I talked to uh, is Dr. Pradima Gupta. She practices in the San Diego area, and she was also involved in drafting the constitutional amendment. And she says straight up, we left it out on purpose. They updated some of the language, and the specific word viability was removed. And that was in conjunction with ACOG and medical experts. So Dr. Gupta basically explains, you know, if you want to talk about viability in in more scientific terms, it's nothing that can be determined based on gestational age limit alone, that there's a whole host of factors that go into determining whether a fetus can live outside the womb. So whether somebody has resources and their health status entering their pregnancy, such as anemia, their pre-existing medical conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, that they might have prior to entering the pregnancy. And so, you know, one fetus who may be able to survive at 23 weeks, another may not. To put a specific gestational age limit doesn't truly represent our medical practice, and viability is really nuanced. You know, we as physicians are medically and ethically obligated to practice within the scope of a law and treat each patient individually and incorporate their own individual experiences and medical medical issues into their care. Doctors are basically saying it doesn't make sense to put a number on it, that it makes sense to leave it up to the doctor's judgment. And in fact, this whole line of thinking, it's not just, you know, one doctor in Southern California. This is actually coming from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which is the, you know, advisory group for all OBGYNs in the country. And that group themselves has removed the word viability from the guidance that it gives out to doctors. And it says, you know, look at all these range of factors if you are helping a woman decide if abortion is the right choice. Well, April, we've been talking so much about this one word or the absence of it in this proposition, viability, and sort of the arguments for and against this proposition, sort of because of that word. Do you think voters are going to be reading that deep into the nitty gritty of this, given just the fact that so many Californians seem to be generally supportive of protecting abortion rights? I think we have to take all of this in the context of what is happening more broadly. Why you're seeing such tremendous support for Prop 1 is in part because the stakes are so much higher. I talked to Mary Ziegler. She is a law professor at UC Davis, and she's also a historian of the abortion debate. Californians, I think, quite strongly support the basic idea that there is a right to reproductive autonomy and that abortion bans are unacceptable. She points out, first of all, 
polling for Proposition 1 is pretty high. And even though there are polls that say that Californians generally favor restrictions on abortion later in pregnancy, she's basically suggesting, you know, maybe people's feelings have changed. Before, anti-abortion groups could say, you know, there's already this federal right to choose abortion, so why do you need even more? Anti-abortion groups can't say that anymore, and not only can they not say that anymore, there are uh, concerns, you know, that other states are going to be trying to affect what Californians do. If people look around and see bans, you know, happening in other states, if, you know, they're thinking about the federal right to abortion being erased, maybe they're not interested in quibbling about some of these viability arguments. And in a world where there is no row, I think what you're seeing is California legislators trying to write into law or asking voters to vote into our state constitution, you know, a kind of blank slate, better idea of what reproductive autonomy could be that isn't just, you know, row part two. Do we know the chances that this will pass? Polls from August say that 71 percent of Californians say they're going to vote for it. That's a pretty wide margin. I think that might be difficult to chip away at even in the last you know month or so of the campaign. April, thank you. Thanks so much. That was The Bay's Erica Cruz Guevara in conversation with KQED health correspondent April Domboski. We'll be back tomorrow with what may be the most eagerly awaited episode of Prop Fest ever. I'll be breaking down props 26 and 27 with Guy Maserati. Those are the sports gambling props that you almost certainly have been seeing campaign ads for. It's a doozy, but we will get through it together. That's tomorrow on PropFest. Be sure you're subscribed to Bay Curious so you don't miss it. PropFest is a production of The Bay. That's Erica Cruz Guevara, Alan Montesilio, and Maria Eskinka. And us here at Bay Curious, Katrina Schwartz, Amanda Font, Brendan Willard, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Darren, too, is creating video versions of our PropFest series. Follow at KQED on Instagram and TikTok so you catch them when they land. I'm Olivia Allen-Price. Thank you for listening. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.